We're in a series called Renew the Vision. We've been walking through an Old Testament book, uh, the book of Haggai. And I want to give you just a really quick catch up in case you haven't been with us. So King Solomon builds this uh, amazing temple. And the temple was a consecration to the, to the Lord. It was a place where they would gather for worship. A couple of hundred years later, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in with the Babylonian army, tears down the temple, kind of takes the people of Israel into captivity. And then after about 50 years, King Nebuchadnezzar allows some of the Jews to go back to this place, to go back to Jerusalem, the heart of it, and build King Solomon's temple again. Now, this temple was a place of worship. It was a place that was near and dear to their hearts, or it should have been. And so they began to build it. They built a foundation for the temple. They built an altar. And then war came their way again. They couldn't catch a break. The war is over fairly quickly, but for 14 years, they did not recover building this temple. They, they kind of stopped. So the war comes they stop. There's justification in stopping in that process. But when the war is over, they should have then begun to renew the vision that God had for them to rebuild this temple. But they didn't. They stopped. They stopped worshiping. They, they, they kind of began focusing on their own lives and their own prosperity. And so God sends Haggai to these folks to say, hey, 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 straighten up, fly right, fix it. You've got you to you get back on path. And so for a moment, they do that. And they begin to build the temple again. And then they stop. And then they start again. And then they get discouraged. And then they stop. And there are really three messages inside of the book of Haggai. And this is week three for us. And, and, and this third message and this final message, we're going to look at this idea where we can kind of go through the motions of worshiping God. And God doesn't want you to just go through the motions. He has something so much better than just routine for you. And so that's what we're going to look at for the Israelites and for you and I today. So the Israelites would obey God's command. If you think back to this story. And they, they would build this temple. But they came a point where they were just doing it because they were told to. They were working off of this assumption, and I think sometimes you and I work off of this assumption, that if we obey God, then God will fix my problems, and the problem will go away. So whatever's going on in our life, if we just obey God, God will fix the problem, and then the problem will be gone. And in some ways, the Israelites were working exactly like this. They, they were thinking, I should act now, so if I act now and I rebuild this temple in the Lord's name and do exactly what he would tell me to, meaning I listen to the Lord, then the Lord will rub my back because I rubbed his, quote unquote, and so he will make my problems go away and he will make our life better. That's not necessarily what they saw because the problem in that assumption and the problem that you and I might fall into if we were to have that same assumption is that God is not a genie. He doesn't just have this magical lamp that we can rub, and then all of a sudden, whenever we find ourselves in this place of temptation, this place of difficulty, this place of doldrum life, we just rub this little lamp and say, hey, God, fix everything for us. I haven't really paid that much of attention to you, but now I'm going to, so go ahead and fix my issues. And we expect God to just come in like our knight in shining armor and go, 
absolutely son or daughter in Christ because you haven't paid me a bit of attention, but now that you show me that attention, I'm right here for you. That's not really how it works. We don't simply approach God when our problems get too large for us to manage. And we just ask Him to take them away. No, our approach to God should be our manifestation of our faith in Him. He tells us in His Scriptures that we should approach Him with boldness, with confidence. We should be walking with Him in our regular day-in and day-out lives. I think sometimes if you look at the Israelites, what they were doing is they would try to fix their problem themselves, and then when it broke, they would do the thing that they didn't know what else to do, and so they would just kind of throw up a Hail Mary, so to speak, and go, God, hey, fix it now. Because what, I, what we were doing wasn't working, so we need you to fix it. And this is where we're going to find these people. We're going to find these people going through the motions of their faith, and one of the things that we're going to see is that they and we cannot have conditional obedience in our response to unconditional love. God does not call you have to have conditional obedience in response to His unconditional love. We obey God sometimes because we like what we think the result will be as opposed to obeying God. God because we love God and because we know that God loves us. I don't know if any of you husbands have this thing. My wife tells me that I have this. Selective listening. You may have a different phrase for it at your house. Sometimes mine is just ignoring me. That's what my wife said. You're just ignoring me. No, that's not true. That's not true. Sometimes she'll say, Selective listening. I said this, and I go, you didn't say that. I don't, know, I don't know when you said that. But I think at some point, you've probably men, and maybe women, definitely women. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, babe. Um, have selective listening, meaning we will hear some things that are said to us, but others we won't. And psychologists would try to say the things that we don't want to hear, those kind of the volume level goes down. And the things that we do want to hear, like, hey, we're going to go get dessert, that one goes up. We heard that. Like, there's no question. But, hey, go cut the grass, that volume got turned down. Or, hey, people are coming over, I need, you to help, I need you to help me clean up. We go, you didn't ask me to do that, honey. That, that wasn't a thing. I was just watching football today, or I was doing what, I had other things on my plate. But sometimes this selective listening applies to our faith. We, we, when we're praying and we're seeking after the Lord, sometimes this selective listening idea we can apply to our faith. God tells us to love our neighbors. But how often do we go out of our way and love people that would be considered our neighbors? Meaning, everyone, if you read the Scriptures. Like, everyone is your neighbor. Not literally just the person next to you, but everyone. How, how often do you go out of your way to love your neighbors? Or we, 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 we listen to things about our language and so we, we don't cuss a ton. We try, to, we try to minimize the four-letter words in our life. But we love gossip, right? Like it happens. We, we're like, ooh, I'm going to focus on cleaning up my language on this side, but over here I'm going to indulge a little bit. Or we don't per se use drugs, 
but we might get a little bit of li- get a little lit here and there on the bottle. Like, ah, oh, one's not really different than the other. I, I don't know. And, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be legalistic this morning. That's not at all what we're trying to look at. And I'm not trying to have you list out a, uh, you know, a plethora of sins in your life. What I want you to understand and what I think the Israelites were missing before we dive into the text is that there's a point where we have to look at our hearts. We have to ask the question of where are our hearts? Where, where is God calling us in our life? What are our hearts saying? Because our actions, whether they are sinful or sinless, are merely an expression of our hearts. And so when you look at the Israelites and where they struggled to listen to God, whether it was you know, situational listening or whether it was they were just totally ignoring Him altogether, you could always make the case that maybe their heart wasn't in it. You, you, you could make the case that they just simply may have been listening with their ears, but they had their heart turned off to what God had for them. And so we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. And, and what I hope that you and I can get from this message from the Lord this morning is that our hearts need to be directly pointed towards Him and open and receptive to what He has for us. None of us want to sit here and talk about the sins that we have in our life and the, the, the dirty laundry in our closet. That's not what we want to do. But sometimes, like the Israelites found out through this prophet Haggai, they've got to stop doing things just to go through the motions and air out their dirty laundry and say, I'm following after Jesus. So, Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his old bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answer, no. So what's going to happen here is Haggai is going to give us a a pretty solid picture uh, of the Israelites' life. And so what he does, he begins in this conversation, and he says, can something holy make something else holy? Meaning, if you have dirty hands, and you pick, or you have, excuse me, you have clean hands, and you pick up a dirty plate, is the plate now clean? No. In case there was any wondering out there, that's not how that works. When, you're, when your clean hands touch a dirty plate, the plate's not all of a sudden clean. And this is the picture that he wants them to see. And then he continues on in verse 13. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, It does become unclean. So he's walking them through kind of the Israelite, the Jewish rituals of their day. And he says, If a dirty hand touches a clean plate in essence what happens to the plate it's now dirty so the holy transfer from holy to sinless or from clean to dirty doesn't happen but the dirty to clean will meaning if you have dirty hands you pick up a clean plate that that plate is now Dirty, And so Haggai wants them to see, and he wants you and I to see, that sin is like a disease that will 
spread. And it spreads easier than holiness. There's a, a scripture that says bad company corrupts good morals. Notice it doesn't say that good company cleanses corruption. Bad company corrupts good morals. And what Haggai is trying to get the people of God to understand in this moment is that their hearts will not become clean in performing actions if the action is dirty. Or, he's also saying, your dirty heart by performing clean actions will not all of a sudden become clean. Like if your heart is corrupt, just by going through the motions, your heart is not all of a sudden going to become a clean place. He continues, verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people. So he's comparing them back to this illustration. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands. See what he's getting at? The work. And what they offer there is unclean. He's saying that wrong motives rarely produce right outcomes. Wrong motives rarely produce right outcomes. Outcomes. The Israelites were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. See, when our heart is bent away from God, it will never move our bodies toward Him. Going through the motions of religiosity will not make you a better Christian. It may make you a better religious person. And please don't hear me bashing religion because there's great scriptures that says pure and undefiled religion is this. Serving, right? So I'm not bashing the word word religion. But what I want to say is there is a difference in our understanding and our actions of just kind of being a religious person and being a person that follows Christ. And what the Israelites were really focusing on in this moment was not following after God because He had called them to, because they wanted to serve Him. They were following after God because the genie had said jump, and so they were trying to respond to that so that they could get whatever they wanted from the genie. And Haggai looks at them and says, God doesn't work like that. Like, your hearts need to be in it. Luke 6.45 says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We get in trouble sometimes when we just kind of fly off the cuff, or at least I do. I'll just speak before I think. And my wife will pull me aside, and I'll say, yeah, I didn't really mean that. And right there, she has a heart, love gold, but daggum, she can hurt my feelings, right? And she's right most of the time. She'll go, what the mouth speaks, the heart intended. And what she's saying is that what I said I meant, I just didn't want, to get, I didn't want you to get offended by it. And we do that. I mean, you, you see commentators doing it all the time right now. You, people on the news, like, they'll say something, and then because of the politics or whatever, they'll have to retract it really quickly. And we all know they probably meant it in the first place. Sometimes they didn't. But what I am here to say is you and I, when we speak off the cuff, most of the time we mean it. Now, we may look back and go, ooh, that was not wise, and it was sin. I should, I should repent. I should change my heart. But from the mouth, the heart speaks. James says it's one of the hardest things to control. 
is our mouth because it has this direct connection to our heart. And so if our heart is broken and it is hurting, it's going to find itself out through our mouth and we're going to likely hurt others. Dean and Sarah, a pastor who wrote a book called The Unsaved Christian, says this, A church that refuses to call people to die to themselves and follow Christ is going to be full of people who admire and are cool with Jesus as long as he, meaning Jesus, doesn't uh, interfere with their lives. So the Israelites in this moment, they were cool with God. They understood why God existed, and they understood His purposes, and they knew what He had expected, and so they were acting accordingly. But their hearts were not bent towards God. Their hearts were bent toward themselves. There was no stirring up, as we talked about last week, in them to have a passion for what God wants them to be passionate about. They felt obligation. And religion is not about obligation. God didn't come to make you feel obligated. God came and sent His Son so that you and I would have a way. Because we had no way. We were broken. We were disconnected from God by our choice. And so God says, it's not about just feeling obligated. Like, look how much I love you. Respond to that love. Work from that place, not for that place. When our hearts are bent, bent towards ourselves, it's really hard to make our, our actions and our motions in life to be bent towards God. Later in that same book, The Unsaved Christian, Dean says this, I can't help but wonder if, didn't I ask Jesus into my heart, will be one of the pleas of the religious when they stand before the Lord. The call to the Christian life is a call to believe the gospel, to repent of sin, and to follow Christ with others. Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 7 that there's going to be many, many who come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to look at you and say, I never knew you. These are people, much like the Israelites in this moment, who were performing actions. Maybe they were baptized or christened at a young age or they went through whatever motions in life that they needed to. Maybe they were, maybe they were only CNE Christians, meaning, meaning they came to Christmas Eve and Easter. Maybe they came all 52. Maybe they served in the nursery. But their actions were merely just that. There was not a heart change. We can't just perform spiritual ap- actions hoping that they result in righteousness or in right living with God. We need to remember that obeying God is not an action. Obeying God is a reaction. When our eyes and our hearts are open to the person and the work of God, we will live from that place. Psalms 119 says it like this, Great peace have those who love your law. We don't obey God so that He will bless us. We obey God because we love Him. And this is what the Israelites were missing in this moment. God is trying to get them to renew the vision, meaning to come back and and have their hearts aligned with God's heart. 
And he was telling them, hey, you have run far from me, but that's okay. Come back. Build the temple and worship. Be reunited with me. And so they began the process. And they stopped because of temptations and because of discouragement and because of all of the things that we've talked about in the previous weeks. And then God gave them another chance. Hey, push forward. Rebuild. Come back. Reunite with me. And then they started. And then they stopped. And then they started. And then they stopped. And God here in this moment is talking through Haggai saying, look, you are now starting to rebuild, but your motives are broken in that. You need a heart change. You need to want to do this. For those of you who've been married, your spouse has probably looked at you at some point and said, you know, whether it was putting your clothes away or putting the TV remote back where it needed to go, they would say, it's not that I want you to do it, I want you to want to do it, right? And we all look at them going, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do the dishes. I don't want to put the remote back. I want to sit around in my underwear and do nothing, right? But, (laughs) amen. That's the one amen I get all today. That's good. Appreciate that. But what God is saying is exactly like our spouse. It's not about the actions. The actions will flow from our heart, but what God is calling you and I to do is to give our hearts to Him. Like, have the vision of God renewed in your heart. Because when that happens, everything else, all of the the checklist things that we're supposed to do, the sins in our life, the strongholds, those things will fade away. Because Jesus is prominent over those things. Scripture says the same Spirit that lives in the Christ follower is the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Think about that, Christ follower. Person who's just listening to this sermon. If you can confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ defeated death, rose from the dead, why can't He help you and empower you to overcome the things in your life? The things that you feel like are dragging you down. How is the power of defeating death weaker than those? It's not. Scripture says that we are more than conquerors in Christ. We can do all things in Him. His Spirit is the most powerful person that you will ever come in contact with. And what God wants you to know, it's not about the action. It's not about the monetary gift. It's not about how often you serve or how many times you darken our doors. It's about your heart. It's about following Jesus with everything that you have. And the Israelites had lost the vision of what God had for them. They were busy building their own kingdoms. And they forgot the power of God. They forgot the unique calling for their life. God wanted them to see Him. And nothing else. 